This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. Good to have you here. You know, we're always talking about wide-ranging information that we present to you to help set your directions and goals and your business and personal success here on Remarkable Results Radio. With me today is Murray Voth from RPM Training. How you doing, Murray? I'm doing well, Carm. How are you? I'm great. RPMtraining.net. Great. I love your site, by the way. It's great. It kind of motivates me to want to improve myself. Good stuff. Remember, if you're in your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Hey, for over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Murray, one of the things that I love about what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about personality types. And you seem to always be an individual who's a deep thinker and you always want to help people understand heaviness and bring it down to easy to understand things. And we're going to talk about personality types. And you've probably heard me say it, I've heard shows on the network, on DISC, D-I-S-C, Dominant, Influence, Steady, Conscientious. You've also heard D described as decisive, I as interactive. You've heard of S as stabilizing. You've heard of C as cautious. And Murray appreciates that if he's going to do business with a client, he's got to understand their personality types because you cannot have, if you're a dominant individual, you cannot have your dominant type conversation with a influencer, they're probably going to shut you out and you're going to be upset that can't get through to them. And, and it's the same with sales, Murray. It's the same with anything. You have to know, learn and understand and have the other person's conversation. But what Murray has done, which I think is brilliant, he has a brand new acronym. He's replacing DISC with a new acronym. And I'm going to let him give it to you. And I want you to listen to Murray's intake, his input, his change up on DISC. It's the same thing, but I love the way you're attacking it. Let's go. You're calling it, what's the acronym? The acronym is CASE, and I'm going to be making the case for CASE. CASE. We're talking about the controller, the analyzer, the socializer, and the entrepreneur. Like you, Carm, I have been DISC till the cows come home. I'm a high ID. <laughs> oh, me too, Murray. We're the same. Yeah. It's amazing we get along. <laughs> well, I think we have mutual respect for each other. I think so. Yes. I've been Myers-Briggs till the cows come home. And of course, there's all these derivatives that come from either Myers-Briggs or DISC or other research. There's the four communication styles. There's the colored hats that people may have gone through. The different, you know, the blue, red, yellow hat type of a scenario. There's the big five, which is sort of what establishments, psychology, psychiatry people about the five personalities and stuff. But you know, you said something about sales that I think is a good way to start this conversation. Because there's this common thing called the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule or the 20-80 rule, whichever, where 20% of your clients give you 80% of your business. And there's been all kinds of research into that number and why. And there's a lot of validity to understanding the Pareto principle. But from a sales standpoint, I talked to a guy years ago who talked about the 20% rule. And he talked about five personalities and not four. And I don't remember all of them. But he said, basically, if you don't think about it, and you implied this, Carm, 
you talk to people who are like you. So if I'm a controller, and I'm going to expand on who these people are momentarily, I'm going to attract and talk to controllers. If I'm an analyzer, et cetera, et cetera. So guess what happens? I'm shutting out all the possibility of other clients coming to my business and or other employees coming to my business because I only see the world through a certain lens. Yes. Well, we're comfortable. We're comfortable talking to someone like us. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so case, the controller, the analyzer, the socializer, the entrepreneur, what I should do is give a quick run through of these folks. And then you can question me and challenge me and all that kind of stuff. The controller is someone who feels the need to control. And we all know people who are like that. But if you think about a controller, they maybe feel out of control, hence the, re- the need for that, which then means that one of the things that you can control in a business is controlling costs. And of course, we've heard all kinds of presentations about you can't cost to profitability. And the the real stretch of this person is now becomes the cheapskate or the person I call pathologically frugal. They are so busy controlling the nickels and the pennies that they lose sight of the opportunity. So that's the controller. Now, again, you can go down a different path of control, controlling people, doesn't have to be this cost. The second one is the analyzer. And this is the, falls into the trap of the overanalyzer. They love Excel. They love numbers. They call themselves numbers people. But what happens is, is they lose sight of the actions required to move the numbers. And again, a common term is paralysis by analysis is another challenge that the analyzer has. Socializer is the life of the party. They're good at connecting with people. They might be good at marketing because they have that natural knack of connecting with people. However, they need to be liked generally, and that can lead to an emotional bank account where you don't charge properly for your services or you have a hard time making tough decisions with team members where you're holding people accountable or maybe having to part ways with somebody that's not a good fit for your company. And then there's the entrepreneur. And I have to say, Carm, people are going to probably ask me, or maybe you're going to ask me who I am in this whole thing, and, and we'll maybe get to that at the end. But this whole thing started off as an irritation with a shop owner who was really cheap. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, and why didn't I see it? Why was he irritating you? He just wasn't listening? No, it was because he kept asking for his business to have different behavior when he was not exhibiting different behavior. And I only discovered it. Guess what, Carm? People talk about, oh, I want to get back to live, live, live. Zoom has given us the opportunity to share screens and we were doing work order audits and we're going work order by work order. And there was this and there was that and there was that. And I said, why did you, why did you do that? Oh, well, the guy questioned my price. And I began to ask him questions and realized that he questions everybody else's price. I don't know why cheap people bug me. The lack of generosity. Anyways, that got me thinking about other types. I've worked with people who just, they'll spend hours in Excel and analyzing the business. And I'll look at them and I'll go, hey, already, like, let's move on. What are we going to do about the numbers that you've got? So maybe it's the old grouchy old man syndrome, but I think we can turn this into a more of a positive light than that. The socializer, hey, that's Mr. Me. <laughs> I'm not irritated by the socializer unless they're extremely extreme. When I'm coaching them, they're hard to dial in, right? They're hard to get to stop talking for a second and, and just will you listen. And the entrepreneur is another one. The term irritates me, not the people. Everybody's an entrepreneur these days. Everybody who's got a side hustle, everybody who's going to open up their own janitorial service. I am so irritated with the term entrepreneur that in the article I sent you, I actually have a whole thing from Wikipedia about where it comes from. And I do want to just read two things, the whole definition. An entrepreneur is someone who is willing to bear the financial risk of a business and also is willing to be the manager of that business. 
Well, sitting around dreaming about starting your own side hustle isn't really what the early definition of being an entrepreneur was. So these folks will sit around and I call this person the dreamer. So the controller becomes the cheapskate, the analyzer becomes the overanalyzer, the socializer becomes the emotional cripple, and the entrepreneur becomes the dreamer. Now, one more comment, and I'll let you guys start challenging me, is these are strengths that taken to an extreme become weaknesses. If you think about it, the controller has a, is a great systems person. They understand detail. The analyzer is great at analyzing and looking at data. The socializer is great at bridging relationships and building relationships with people. And the entrepreneur is a visionary. They're somebody who can develop ideas and businesses, right? These are beautiful skills that happen. But what happens is, is we default to them under moments of stress, under moments of fear, under moments of other things in life, or, or when we're overwhelmed we default to these settings. So this is where I thought rather than come at this from an early irritation that started the conversation to, you know what, these are things that all of us as business owners go through. And there's probably some other details that I haven't covered here yet. And I want to help people with that. I'm working with myself on this stuff. I appreciate where this opening dialogue has gone because I think that our listener, Murray, is going to sit and relate genuinely to this, no matter if they're a controller, analyzer, socializer, or entrepreneur. And each of those different personality types, as you pointed out, have their strengths and their weaknesses. I would love to get the stat of that side hustle that someone wanted to start a job, start a thing. I'd love to find out how many don't make it because of what you said that you can come up with a great idea, but you also have to be the manager of that great idea. All of a sudden, you can't have 30 people working for you day one so you can delegate, delegate. You don't care about details. You want people to do them for you. There's more side hustle emails for people because I can't believe how many people sign up and go. They spend a thousand bucks to learn how to do this thing and they can't keep it going. People love to start things and be thumbs under shirt. Well, I'm Joe Entrepreneur. Let's take this down into the shop and to the many clients that you've coached in the past. Have you had to help them understand their personality type, their strengths, so that they can become a better leader and know where they fit into the puzzle? I've worked with DISC with my clients and I've worked with the communication styles in the past and we've used that. I think my experience in life and in business and in coaching, I use these four maybe on a less conscious level than we're talking about right now. I'm going to be formalizing this and I appreciate the sort of impetus that our conversation has had because this is basically a whole course in the, in the making here now, right? And so, but I think the key thing is is understanding and listening and watching human behavior and asking questions as why is somebody behaving the way they're behaving? Why are they reacting the way they're reacting? And working with that and finding out what's causing this. Because a lot of times it's caused by stress or we don't want to go down this path right now. But again, we have past trauma that we're coping with and things like that. And so in the coaching practice, I'm really big on movement. I don't care how small of a step, but there has to be movement. If somebody working with me says that they, they're happy where they are, they don't want to move, we generally part ways not long after that. You know, we wish each other the best. 
and they're comfortable with where they've landed. I have a strength and a weakness combined where I push myself all the time to the point of exasperating some people around me, including my clients. They'll reach a new goal. They'll reach a new implementation of something. And we'll spend a few moments congratulating and celebrating. And then they'll look at me and the next question I ask is, okay, so what's next? And then they'll roll their eyes. (laughs) I feel part of that is my job as a coach is to keep pushing. I get it appropriately and professionally. But on the flip side of that, my trans and being very transparent here, my personal psychological reward as I work is watching progress. I've realized that the most frustrating thing to me as a coach and a person is when I don't see progress. And that's about Murray, not about the person I'm working with. If you went to Apex 2023, then you realize the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional shop owner, technician, and service advisor. Joe's Garage is your place to hang out with 10 working bays and real live working conditions. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and greatest on display and demonstrated for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest trainers, coaches, and teachers. Work is underway to make next year's Apex 2024 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your career, sales, and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the service aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening, and we'll bring you the latest from Apex 2024. Save the date, November 5th through the 7th, 2024. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. Napatrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. Napatrax offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week, and customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Tracks is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at NapaTracks, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. I have disked myself upside down. I have actually an incredible textbook on disc. I have been trained by some really great disc people. I was trained on how to spot an individual's one of four personalities just by looking what they're wearing and how they hold themselves, which is really kind of a cool thing. But let's go back to your controller. Think of finance. Think of the individual who's managing your money that's doing the books. If you give them a disc and they've got some high C, which is the disc test, they may be really good to put in that finance role. The analyzer, way back in the day, I would say that's your best customer service person because they love to fix things for people. And the socializer was, if you will, the influencer, but they're also planners and they're also great with sales. So you you take a dominant individual who has a, who's a visionary and they want an integrator. A lot of times that I person or that socializer can sell it to the people and then say, Hey, when we're all done and we get it, we're going to have a party. Yeah. (laughs) And then the entrepreneur is the visionary, the leader, and like you, I think you may have mentioned before, the dreamer. 
And so all of these roles that you're speaking to, all these personality types have a purpose in everything we do. They do. Yes. And I think first thing to do is identify what our mixture is and celebrate them. I think what we need to do is see where we can use our gifts, if you want to call them, for let's and let's just work in the automotive aftermarket for now in our shops. And then I think the other part of it is is recognizing when we begin to default to those in, in times of stress or in times of anxiety, right? When we default to things that we're comfortable with or that we want to go, even let's just use the word hide behind that whole process. So one of the things that I've been doing over the years that that's kind of, I experiment, it's in development, and I know there's all kinds of tools like this out there, and there's some great things that are out there, but I use an acronym called SOAR with my coaching clients, and I used to formalize it, and now it's more of a, it's always in the back of my mind with myself and with my coaches. We have this sort of acronym behind, and it stands for a situation, outcome, action, and results. And I think maybe Way, way back years ago, Carmen, one of our earliest podcasts together, I may have brought up this this conversation, but I think it's time to revisit it. So what I get to my clients to do is, you know, let's stop talking for a minute because sometimes we're talking war stories or we're complaining or we're trying to process verbally what's going on. And, you know, we all need to do some of that. So we stop for a minute and say, okay, so what is the situation? And I'm going to use an example of that was just one of my most beautiful experiences with this tool. And they said, everything points to the fact that we need a service advisor. The numbers point to it. The current staffing levels, the current stresses point that we need another service advisor. And that's the situation. Now, prior to me bringing this SOAR method to that person or to that group, they had agreed that they were going to hire a service advisor. Month after month goes by and nothing is done. Nobody is hired. And I realized in the process of developing this SOAR is that they were stuck because they didn't know what the first step was. So first step was, is to talk about what would the outcome look like? And they were like, what do you mean? Well, imagine what a good outcome would be. Imagine the kind of person that would be in that desk, what kind of skills they would bring, what kind of experience they would bring. Do you want somebody new that you're going to train? Do you want somebody with some of experience? Do you want somebody with customer service background? What are you looking for, right? Imagine what that outcome would look like. So you sort of, and we documented that, wrote that down. And you know what that does to your brain is you go, oh, yeah, you know what? I can visualize this person being there. Then the next thing to do is work through the actions. So what's the first action? Well, we need to advertise, Do you have an advertisement? No, we don't. First action plan for that month was create an advertisement and publish it, you know, wherever. I said, do you, have you ever interviewed anybody? Well, it's been a long time and I'm not very good at it. Okay, so we spent some time in the next meeting on how to interview. So action plan there was to interview any responses. And then after that was to hire. So three months later, they had an advisor in place. Because they were overwhelmed by all the things that it takes to get that person. Because what happens is, is they begin to think of, a new person coming in the door before they've even interviewed anybody. Like we, we tend to jump too far ahead of ourselves as human beings sometimes. And so here's another piece that I realized that this plays on is human motivation. And again, you know, we talk about children and video games. This has been a topic. And I mean, it's been talked about even more and more recently since I, I first was reading about it. And what happens is, is why the kid wants another level is because of the dopamine hit. It's about us, the human brain rewards itself for a success. So guess what I discover with my clients? Did you write the ad? Yes. Dopamine hit. Did you publish the ad? Yes. Dopamine hit. 
Did you get some responses? Yes. Dopamine hit. Have you booked some interviews? Yes. Dopamine hit. So every single time you give your shot, yourself a little shot of dopamine, you feel better about the process. You feel stronger about the process so that by the time you're interviewing that pro- person, you're already on some building blocks of, of good mental conditioning of doing that whole piece. And then the last ac- part of the acronym is the results. You circle back and whatever you decide will be your reporting process and go, what was the result? Get, did we publish the ad by this date? And so what I actually do with people is who's going to do it by which date, which goes back to some of the old smart timelines or I forget some of those other. You're also talking to me about accountability. I mean, you know, as much as you're not doing it, Murray, you've helped wire the brain as to what the outcome, the expectations could be. But I love the angle on the positivity when things happen in a good way, even if they're not good, at least you've moved the cart a little more forward. And and even if the ad didn't work and you've got to go regroup, there's still positivity. Okay, well, there's nothing big. Let's go write a new ad. And then something does happen. I think that dopamine concept is fabulous as a coach and an accountability partner to push someone. They have to do it. They got to get on the horse and drive it. They got to pull the cart. And of course, we all feel that in business, the three steps forward and the two steps back every day. When you work with this kind of a methodology, you get encouraged to keep putting those steps forward. And you talked about this term accountability, Carm. And my goodness gracious, that's another word that I just get irritated with because of how it is misused. It's negative, isn't it? It's negative. It's my employees don't do what I tell them to do. I'm going to make (laughs) my employees accountable, meaning I'm going to yell at them so that they do what I want to do. It's like, for goodness sakes, everybody. And again, this is common in business, whatever. But guess what? There are individuals and companies and corporations who have figured out how to get the best out of people. Again, goes with another area of my passion with this is when a person is not accomplishing what you would like. So let's speak to the owners about their employees, advisors, technicians, whatever the case may be. I always ask the question, do they know what is expected of them? Do they know how to do what is expected of them? And have you given them the tools to do that? Lots of reading and research, if people want to get more on this information, is from the whole bunch that did the Strengths Finder. You brought that up the other day. Yeah, Clifton Strength Finders, yes. Clifton. That's all from the, oh, that big research company. Gallup. They do a ton of work on this stuff. And there was another book written, this is a, a, probably a decade ago, something along the lines of the 12 keys to good management. And it talks about 12 questions to ask your employees. And 60 something percent of North American employees do not have the tools to do the job they're being asked to do. 60% haven't actually been given clear direction about what they're supposed to be accomplishing. So in other words, the example I use from a corporate world is, is the photocopier on my floor isn't working because my manager is too cheap to get it fixed. I have to take the elevator to the fifth floor and stand in line to use the copier up there. How much of that kind of stuff are we doing to our people, Carmen? This is a great episode that I believe every owner should listen to and then decide in their leadership team who to share it with. And if they've not done DISC, they've not done any kind of strengths finders testing, any kind of assessments, then they should start doing it and then ask themselves this question. If I give DISC to everyone in the company, we ask them to listen to this episode to really understand a little bit behind the scenes because we're not asking you to go to a DISC seminar, but just to take the test, look at your results. Now we get together as a team in one of our meetings and we say, I would like to say that these are your different leanings, your personality types. 
Listen, I'm a high I, but I got D above the line, and we could get scientific if you want in how it all blends and works together. And I've got this thing called a corporate hook out of my chart that people have told me about. And you don't have to get technical, but the fact is if you lean toward a D, an I, an S, or a C, we have to use this to learn this is why he answers like he does. This is why he's not receptive to some of your ideas. This is how we have to gel our company and build our culture because now we're not just saying, wow, what an ass. We know why. Listen, you got to beta test this for me, okay? <laughs> and then you got to come back on and says, listen, I got a shop owner that wants to come on and say, this blossomed his people's respect and caring for each other because now we know why we do what we do. Rewarding our people for the behaviors that we're looking for and challenging them to look like, again, look at their peers, their coworkers and stuff and understanding them. And so you're helping me formulate another idea here. So I'm just going to need about a, a second and a half. Let's look at technicians. Let's say I have a technician who's a controller. They tend to look over the advisor's shoulder to see what's being booked in for the day today or for tomorrow. They don't like surprises of unexpected cars. So how could we help that technician who's trying to control the schedule? Maybe what we could do is communicate what's coming in tomorrow so that they can actually think about it tonight, right? So they can actually plan for this stuff, all right? Let's think about we have a technician who's not identifying things on inspections the way we think they should be. And we understand that they're a very frugal person. They would make those wipers last a long time. Now, I've worked on controller now with both of those features. So let's talk about a technician who's a socializer, who's chatty, right? That kind of stuff like that. And maybe finding ways to help them understand how the rest of the world looks at them, but also maybe find ways to use that skill or that chattiness. And maybe, guess what? Maybe they're going to be a better advisor than they're going to be a technician. Because it could be that they're an average tech or below average tech in such a chatter. But we get so caught up in the fact that they talk so much, we don't realize that the reason why they're an average tech is because they're better at something else. Again, kind of mine, I don't remember the name of this assessment. It's another fairly expensive one he paid for. And the assessor said, put that technician on the front counter and do this with this person, do that with that person. And Trevor is just thrilled with the results that he's getting with his people. Let's go with a technician who is a entrepreneurial or the one that's the visionary or the dreamer. They're always the ones that talk about, you know, they'll stop working and talk about, hey, you know, if we move this piece of equipment here and what if we did this and hey, boss, what if we bought one of these? Well, you know what? That's rather than get irritated by the fact that they're not working on cars. Let's just say, hey, listen, if you don't mind, you work on cars for seven hours of the day. And at the end of the day, once you're physically tired, but still have a bit of mental energy, why don't we meet and talk about the best way to lay out the shop or let's make a budget for new equipment, right? Let's Get that person thinking that we can segment that. And then we have these, the controller. Oh, the, then there's the analyzer technician who will spend five and a half hours diagnosing a vehicle. When you realize that they found the concern in the first hour, they're just using the next four and a half to prove that they were right. <laughs> and so what we need to do is find out why do they feel like they have to prove that they're right? Why can't they be confident in their initial assessment or maybe even a secondary assessment at that point? an extra two minutes or 10 minutes to confirm that, why are they the way they are? Which reminds me of a story from back in my day. I took on this apprentice. He was a second year, by the way, the Canadian system works, which means that they can do brakes, they can do undercar, mechanical oil changes, tires, all that other kind of stuff, right? Pretty reasonable level of skill. Anyways, I noticed that every time he did a service, 
after he changed the oil and the filter and stuff, he would lift the car up again and inspect it, put it back down again. After he parked it outside, he would crawl underneath it again. And I said, hey, Josh, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm just checking for leaks. He was doing this after every maintenance service. My term for oil change, by the way, for those maybe who are new to me. Anyways, and I said, so I had a hunch. I said, you left the drain plug off at your previous job, didn't you? And you poured the oil in and you ran the vehicle and it ran on the ground and you blew the engine. He said, yeah, I did. So you never, ever want that to happen to you again, right? Yeah. I said, you know, it's taking you a lot of time to do these services. I see you do your other work so quickly. You are skilled. You're a great contribution. He fits in perfect to the culture. I said, so we're going to do two things. He said, number one, here is the drain plug assortment and the drain plug gasket assortment. You are free to use these if you feel that that drain plug needs to be replaced or the drain plug gasket needs to be replaced. You be the judge, right? Just tell, just put it on the work order so we charge the client for it. Don't be cheap. If you think that it needs a new gasket, it needs a new gasket, right? And secondly, I said, here's, I don't know, this is a long time ago. Here's 50 bucks. Go buy yourself a little tiny torque wrench. What do you mean? I said, did you know that drain plugs have torque specs? Oh, no, nobody taught me that. I said, so you can torque them to the spec and then park it outside and just leave it. The first few are going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to trust you. And we're going to trust the torque specs. We're going to trust the drain plug. And if anything happens after that, I says, I have insurance. It took him a couple of months to unwind and trust himself again. But it was understanding what had happened to him, why he was doing that kind of thing. When you ask, why is somebody doing something, unless they're like a psychopath or something, you can usually ask questions and find out and help them grow past it. We will put a in the show notes a link for DISC and we'll put the link for Strength Finders in there. I just looked up my strengths. I'm on Gallup. I have my own page. I know what all of my strengths listed in whatever order they are. I also know what my disc profile is. So when I realize that I'm doing some of the things that I'm doing, I can see it in my disc personality profile and I can see it in what StrengthsFinder says I'm really good at. And it's amazing for the self-confidence that you can, the self-assurance you can get when you're living in your normalcy, let's call it that. But when I go out of those zones, you're uncomfortable. You feel like you're in a place that you're not good at and you're not comfortable with. And let's talk about leaders and and owners. Only 10% of people are entrepreneurs. I got stats on your case study. Controller, 25% of the people. Analyzers, 40%. Socializers, 25%. And entrepreneurs are 10 So everyone who says that they're an entrepreneur can't be. Exactly. (laughs) These are terms that we call ourselves, right? We pride ourselves in managing the pennies and the dimes if we're a controller. We pride ourselves in being able to analyze spreadsheets at a glance. We pride ourselves in uh, being able to make friends quickly or to influence people quickly. You know, we're proud of ourselves with the concept of entrepreneur that we have these great ideas. But again, then nothing happens or the rubber doesn't meet the road or don't have any movement, which then comes to a thought that I was thinking about when I was working on this stuff to prepare for today, a lot of this has to do with decision-making. And I know there's writing about decision-making. I think Daniel Pink wrote a book on decision-making. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book involved in My favorite book about it is by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who got, they got the Nobel Prize for economics, and they're psychologists. Wrote a book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Now, again, we talked about Murray reading academic stuff and then bringing it to the average person. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do. But the decision-making process, I think, is what these four things also affect. 
We make decisions all day long. We make easy decisions. We have to make quick ones sometimes, but sometimes we have to make very hard decisions. And then what happens is, is when that hard decision is there, we tend to default to our strength slash weakness in that whole process, right? We spend time analyzing and overanalyzing, or we spend time talking, or we spend time dreaming. We spend time controlling something as opposed to making that decision. I find in general, I'm a pretty good decision maker. I think there's been a lot of mentors in my life, a lot of my reading. Have I made too quick of a decision sometimes and borne the brunt of it? Yes. But a lot of research shows that you're better off making a decision than no decision. I got to stop you for a moment and take this entire analysis to the husband and the wife or the significant other. And when I think about how this 50% divorce rate that I seem to hear too often, and again, I'm not the expert, I'm not the psychologist, and I'm not a marriage counselor, okay? I want to qualify that, but I am a deep thinker, Murray, and I love my intuition is a strong part of me. And I think about me and Anne, she is the polar opposite of me, the polar She's high conformity. She's an analyzer. She's got no socializer, no entrepreneur in her at all. And I'm the polar opposite, okay? But I let Anne do what she has to do. And I try to be better at what she does good by watching and learning. And I think that it makes a strong marriage or a commitment to marriage. It was fun in the beginning. We got married. It was great. And then life grinds on and it happens and everybody's pure intention shows up. Please don't think of this as a marriage. Think of it inside of your own business. Same stuff happens. The new person joins. It's a honeymoon for six months and the real person comes out. Well, you got to know what that real person's like the day you hire them and watch for it and discuss it. My point is, is that there needs to be accommodations from both sides. They always say 75-25, each giving and receiving part, and in the middle, you end up at 50% and happy long-term marriage. I don't think mine would have been as long as it is possible if I didn't accept what Annie's personality style was, and she, to me. And your point so well taken. I think it's, it's great for the client-coach relationship, but more important than the leader and their team and their people and the culture inside of your business. Wow. So there was my little rant. I had to bring the marriage thing into it. I think it's a factor. A year or two behind you. I think you guys are celebrating 45. A lot. <laughs> um, we're, uh, we're 42. We're 43. And it's that giving space to the other person for who they are is another term that uh, that we've been talking about in our marriage. Giving space for that person to be that other. My wife is very artistic. She is very entrepreneurial, actually, and could use a little bit more analysis some days. <laughs> and I'm too driver. I'm too don't communicate. Well, I get ideas and do something without communicating. My idea that I'm going to do, that would be an area that bit me pretty bad sometimes in our relationship. So yeah, but giving each other space to listen to the other person, how their point of view, their skill and all that kind of stuff, I think is powerful. But circling back to the team car, car count, marketing, doable. Technology, I don't care what it is, doable. Money, financing, you can learn it. These are all learned skills that we can learn. Leadership, working with people, managing, leading people is probably the most challenging, the most difficult, I think, for business owners and shop owners because the human factor, because we're human, we bring strengths, weaknesses. And again, without a lot of background or training in these things that we, a lot of us don't come from this in our industry is we don't know what we're doing. I believe it can be a skill that can be learned. I have watched 
Some of my clients learn these skills amazingly. I've watched other people in the past that I've worked with with a different company grow that are now coaches themselves because they've grown in this in this self-awareness and awareness of these principles and things like that. But it is the most challenging because we're just not given this kind of background in, in preparing for business, right? It's just not a thing. Murray, what gets in the way of an individual not wanting to want to learn and do and be a better leader? Is it they just don't have the horsepower or they don't want to commit the bandwidth? I lean back to a book called Growth Mindset versus a fixed mindset. Carol Dwork, D-W-E-R-K, or maybe C-K. She's an expert in this field. And that human beings, as we get older, through our school system, through our parenting, we either come out at a certain point with a growth mindset or we come out with a fixed mindset. And she uses examples of famous people in the book and talks about some people to give examples. And there's a, I don't know how much of an analysis is in there, but by reading the book, you can sort of find out where you're at. Fixed mindset people can learn to be growth mindset unless it's been entrenched so deeply or there's some very deep trauma that's got that locked in place. But if I can remember very quickly, somebody who has a fixed mindset, it is what it is. It can't change. I am who I am. Growth is not possible. It's not, they don't use the word I'm stuck. I just, it is what it is. It's not possible to grow. If there's a problem, it's usually somebody else's fault because I can't change anything. So it's got to be somebody else's fault. Whereas a growth mindset is, what can I learn from my mistake? There's always more to learn. There's always new information that I don't know. And the idea that I can do that. And she doesn't use this exact language, but I use this example with my clients. She says, everybody is born with a growth mindset. And I say, so Carm, you have two children, right? Or three? I don't remember. I think two for sure. <laughs> two. Two. We have three, right? We've all watched children learn how to walk, right? How many times did your kids fall when they were learning to walk? Bunches. Bunches. Did they ever give up? Never. No, they're currently walking today. I see. I saw Tracy walking at, at Apex. <laughs> she never gave up. Inherently, biologically, we are a growth mindset, meaning that we are going to learn to walk. We are going to learn to do, look after it. Like we learn and we learn until poor parenting, bad emotion experiences, bad school experiences, whatever gets us to switch our brain off to the fact that we can't grow anymore and that we're kind of stuck that way. I find that's the biggest thing is the growth mindset. So that would be a fantastic book to read. And something that I'm reading and working on now, very recent in my world, is the concept of regret and that... We don't fear change as much as we actually fear regret. And again, this is something research done by this Daniel Kahneman has been working on that. And so when people hesitate to make a decision or to make a change, it's not so much they're afraid of the change. They're afraid that after they've made the change, they're going to regret that they did it. And somebody in their life is going to say to them, what were you thinking? They're so afraid of somebody saying, what were you thinking? And not accepting the fact that this could fail or not fail. All right, do me a favor, send it to me because I want to put it on our books page. Every time we talk about books, they're up on our books page. And most of the books you mentioned are there, remarkableresults.biz forward slash books. But it's fabulous to hear that concept that we fear regret. And that holds us back from making these decisions because we're afraid of that feeling. That feeling is worse than most other feelings, apparently. All right, here's what I want to know. The phone rings, email comes in. It says, Murray, I've heard you. I've seen you. I love your website. Let's do business. I'm a shop owner, blah, blah, blah. You go through your whole thing. How soon do you find out if this individual is a growth or a fixed mindset? Did you ever try to work with fixed mindsets? In my previous role with another company, I did a lot because people were brought to us kicking and screaming <laughs> in a way. In my world now, I can 
People choose me, I can choose them. I would say fixed mindsets pull away after a while. I don't have to say or do much. They just pull away. I, I find it hard as uh, that there's a, my relator, my socializer finds it hard and it's hard to take, you know, make you want to feel take that personally that I couldn't help this person. But in a couple of cases that come to mind, the fixed mindset was so entrenched and so tough. It just has to be what it's going to be now. Did they find some low hanging fruit that made their lives a little bit better, a bit more profitable? Yes, they did. Within their comfort level, I thought it was good. Carm, it's funny that you're hitting so many new topics and nerves with me today because I'm actually realizing that there's a whole set of parameters that I'm looking for in a coaching client that I haven't actually documented yet that have evolved in the last little while. I'm trying to think of some breakthroughs. And again, I want to give credit to the individuals more than to me. I think maybe at most I was a catalyst. And here's the other part is the other group members are catalysts and are part of this. Sometimes it's not me. Sometimes it's their peers. That's the power of the peer group, the 20 group, the mastermind group is that part of it. I think of one, he's not so young now, but he was younger. He came up to me, this was pre-COVID live meetings, live group meetings. And he was the last one. He kind of hung around and hung out and said, doggone it. He said, I see these people in this room making it past a million in sales. I see this attitude and I don't know quite what I'm missing, but doggone it. I'm going to put on my big boy pants and I'm going to hit a million in sales. It took a couple of years, but he's done it. And you know what it is, Carm? It's a mind shift. I believe that we can all experience them. I've had three or four in the last two years with my coach that I work with, Brenda, where all of a sudden you have blind spots, you have these hangups, and all of a sudden somebody phrases it some, a certain way or asks you a question, and you end up having this breakthrough. The other thing is I find, and I've had this discussion with a lot of my friends and peers in the coaching, teaching you know, world, is learning to learn. I learned how to learn very young, that there's a way, there's a game. You're gaming the teachers. <laughs> and I find that a lot of people don't learn that there's a way to learn, right? That there's a whole system of how to learn things. And what I find is helpful is helping people transfer abilities. So I will take somebody who is challenged with understanding their numbers. And I'll say, okay, if it's possible to do this live, I do it live. Otherwise, we do a role play. I said, so what's a car with a drivability issue you've got booked in this week? Blah, 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 blah. All right, I got this BMW, got this. Okay, so what is the next step? Okay, what is the next step? I Hang on a second. I, I feel like I've missed something here. Oh, then the shop owner who's being attacked that day, right, will say, oh, here's another step that I just assumed that you would. No, no, don't assume that I know anything. Walk me through all the steps that it took to get the answer to the solution. I said, see how good you are with that? Yeah. So what? I says, it's like, does a fish living in salt water know that it lives in salt water? <laughs> Doesn't know. <laughs> right. And so I said, okay, so you know what you just did diagnosing that car. Let's take a look at your business now. Let's see if I can teach you the check engine lights of your business. I can teach you the codes of your business. All right. So then we start looking at the margins. We start looking at KPIs and we began to take my, I have composite tool, an app that they use. And I teach them to use like a scan tool. I says, what I do is scan your business the way you scan cars. And that light bulb begins to go on. I have this to do this. I can do this. I just have to transfer it from one technology, which is a car, to financial technology or KPI technology. And that works wonders. It's brilliant stuff. Thank you. I mean, I think we could go on for two hours because we started with personality types. And now we're talking about learning how to learn. Okay, do me a favor. Beta test my idea. 
on everybody takes drains finders, everybody takes disc. We get together as a team, put them up on the wall so we all know what we do, why we do what we do, and let's congeal it. Let's make this institution we call our business of peoples and personalities. It's the big harvest, Thanksgiving harvest of fruits and vegetables and dinner and yeah, it's a cornucopia. Sorry, I, I went off the deep end there. <laughs> it's almost Thanksgiving in your country, right? Got another couple of weeks. Hey, but Carm, if we could leave with a practical thing for everybody. Yeah. I'm now watching shops with multiple advisors, like twos and threes and fours and fives, begin to position people a little bit differently than traditional. So for example, we're now getting people who are kind of the estimators and the parts people in the background who tend to be controllers and analyzers. And they're leaving the socializers and the relators on the front counter. And those are the back people do all the analysis, create the estimate, and then the front person does the sale. And so now they're intuitively as owners, maybe with disc, maybe without, but they're intuiting with my current team of two, three, four, and five advisors, they're beginning to play to the strengths of those person people rather than making somebody be highly organized when they're never going to be organized. It reminds me of a story I was told by a person that's in the tire business. And one of the service advisors is really good and versed on tires and knows everything about him, the right fit, right form, the right function for the person's driving needs. And so the service advisor was approached by this new customer coming in and says, hey, we're brand new here, but we need some tires. And that service advisor that was weak in tires did not try to phony their way through a tire sale. They said, Charlie's standing right next to me. He's our tire expert. Let me tell him you're here. There was a handoff for all the right reasons. Yeah. That's to your point. Love it. Fantastic. Murray, wow. Thank you so much. RPM Training, rpmtraining.net. Murray Voth, great friend and a good wine drinker, fellow wine drinker of mine. <laughs> you better be careful how you phrase that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to buy the next bottle, right? Okay. All right. I think I would phrase it as good taste in wine. <laughs> yeah, this was great. So we talked about a lot of things, but most importantly, Controller, analyzer, socializer, entrepreneur, Murray's acronym called CASE. Love it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.